Hey there, this is Jeff Dixon. I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. I'm glad you've chosen to tune in today as my wife, Vanessa, is going to continue our series on rewired worship with part number five. I hope you enjoy. I hope it changes your life. We've been in a series called Rewired Worship. And um, Jeff has been talking about different ways that we can um, kind of retrain ourselves or what worship really is. And, and so um, I don't do this very often, and I'm okay with that. But I am, I'm honored to be able to speak this morning and just kind of continue on that line and share with you um, some things that we can learn maybe in our lives about worship and some things that I hadn't seen before. So we're just going to jump right in. Um, there's a, a, speaking of Mother's Day, we're just going to honor somebody in the, in the Bible um, who happens to be a woman that we're going to talk about today. Not planned. Um, but we're going to go to Luke 10. I don't have scriptures on the screen this morning, so just um, bear with me. If you don't have your Bible, we'll, uh, we got you covered. So in Luke 10, um, we're going to start talking about a woman named Mary, and you might have heard about this woman before, and if you have, I know sometimes we can get in our minds, oh yeah, I know that, I know that story, I got this, it's, you know, I know what she's going to talk about, it's okay, but the cool thing about the Word of God is that it's living, and it's active, and it is powerful, and the th- same things that you have read over and over and over again can speak to you different things the next time you read it, so um Anyways, we're going to hopefully see some new things in here that maybe you hadn't seen before. So in Luke 10, it's the story about um, Mary and Martha. And so it starts out in verse 38. And it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And I want to stop right there because it's just introducing us to who these people are. You have uh, Mary welcome Jesus into their home, which would be quite incredible, wouldn't it, to have Jesus just physically walk into your house. And it says that Martha, I mean Mary, was she sat at the Lord's feet and she listened to him. And I think that she, it says she listened to his teaching. And I think that when we um, have a posture, of sitting, a posture of learning. She was listening to his teaching, so he was teaching her something. Um, then it, it, it is a posture of, I need to learn more. I don't know it all. Can you turn to somebody next to you and say, you don't know it all? Yeah, we don't know it all. And if we have a posture of sitting, and that's why when you go to schools all through school, all through college, and what in whatever setting that you're in, they have the students sit, and the teacher is teaching because the students are in a posture of learning. They're in a posture of uh, putting themselves in a position where I want to know what you know so that I can I can help myself, right? So she has put herself in a a position or a posture of sitting down so she can listen to his teaching. But it doesn't say that she was even talking back to him. What was she doing? She was listening. And I think a lot of times, maybe even in worship, we miss something completely um, uh, obvious right here that what she was doing was she was not doing all the talking. She was doing all of the listening, She was sitting down listening at his feet. Um, And it reminds me of a story. um, When we went to Atlanta a few years ago, 
we were um, we took our kids, our our some of the kids in our youth group on a missions trip down there to the school of ministry. And um, they had us just doing different activities down there. We had like five kids with us. And um, one of the things so they, they wanted us to do was it was called Words of Life. And so they taught us to do this with our team, and then they wanted us to do this again. So what they said was, you get in your group, and then you speak encouraging things to each other. Not just, you know, what's going to make that other p- person feel good, but you really want to hear from God and say, you know what, I see this in you. You know, this is, this is going on, and I just believe that God's going to do this for you and that kind of thing. And so it really, like helped us to, you know, to learn to listen and to, to speak to other people. And so we practiced that with each other in our team. And then they had us get in a group in our room and they had us all sit in a circle and they put a chair in the middle, this orange chair, we'll never forget. And, um, the, the person that was in charge came in, Pastor Paul, and he said, um, I'm going to bring in a guy that uh, he hangs around here all the time, but um, he loves it when groups come in and just give him words of life, when they speak to him and when they just um, just encourage him and share with him. We, oh, great, we can do that. We're good at that. So um, he said, but I want to tell you a little bit about his story first. And this is Atlanta. This is the the harder part of Atlanta where they are. And so he said, we, we met this guy out on the streets he was, um, he became friends with a lot of people downtown. He was hanging out with, you know, the, the gang members and the, um, you know, all the prostitutes and everybody that you see um, in Atlanta. Well, one day, um, some of them turned on him and he got shot, right? Yes, he got shot. And so they took him to the hospital. He ended up living through it. And um, he's just quite a miracle. And so he comes back now. He just wants to love on people. So he spends his time out on the streets, you know, just talking to people. But he'll also just come in here. He just loves to hang around us, and we love having him here. So he said, I want him to come in, and, and you all just speak to him because he just loves that. I said, oh, that's, that's pretty amazing. And so he said, by the way, his name is Emmanuel. And then he said, let me go get him. So he went out, and when he came back in, he said, some people call him Emmanuel, but I call him Jesus. And he opened the door, and makes me, he opened the door, and I'm telling you, it was like Jesus physically almost walked into that room and sat in that chair. And that will change your prayer life because prayer is just that. It's just communication with God. And so we're sitting there, all of us in this circle, we're sitting there staring at this chair. And it was just, it was just silence. We were okay doing this to just, you know, some guy just encouraging him. But Jesus is right here. I mean, it was like he was physically right there in the room. And we kept looking at that chair going, what are we going to, what do we say? what do we say? And so we started going around the room saying different things. And I remember when it was my turn, I just, I just broke. And I said, what in the world am I going to say to you? I mean, you're the one that, that we should be listening to. You're the one that should be talking. And here I am trying to say something to you. I don't, I don't even know what to say. And I just sat there and just cried and cried. And I thought just being in the presence of God like that is is something so different than just 
than just our prayer life being about a list of things that we need to just make sure gets to God. Bless this person, bless that person, and could you do this for me? It completely changed our, our outlook on, on what prayer is and what worship is. And so when I think about Mary sitting there, sitting in a posture of, I don't know it all, God, and I know that you know way more than me, so I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be quiet. And I'm going to listen because I know that you can say more than I ever know. So nothing that she had to say was important at that moment. It wasn't about a prayer list. It wasn't about everything that she had to make sure that God heard about what was wrong in her life. It was about her listening and understanding. And I think what happened in this moment is why she was able to do the things she did later on in her life that we're going to talk about too. So she was um, acknowledging that that. He, he knows a lot more than she does. And I think there's some things, I mean, I think I would love to be in that position with her. That, and I thought, what, what was he teaching her? It doesn't tell us what, she, what he was teaching her. What was she learning in that moment? But I do think, number one, she was learning to listen. She was learning that to keep her mouth shut because what she, what she had to say wasn't near as important as what he was saying at that moment. But I also think that she was learning just who he was. She was getting a revelation and understanding of of this man sitting in front of her. I don't know if this was her first encounter with him, but um, she understood that she just needed to, to listen to who he was. So we got this picture of Mary sitting at his feet, and then verse 40 says, But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What I think is interesting in here is we have two sisters that are in the same environment. One was choosing one thing and one was choosing another. It says that Martha was distracted with much serving. And what I think is interesting here is that she was, it wasn't that she was distracted with doing terrible things. She was distracted with doing really good things. And I think that we can get distracted with doing great things, but they become a distraction if our focus is not where it needs to be. So, she, so Jesus says, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. She was distracted with serving, and it was like she was performing out of her distraction, that she was just, she had to get things done, and it was a performance-based relationship where, let me do this for you, and then maybe you'll do something for me. Mary's is like, I don't, I don't have anything. I can't do anything. I'm just going to sit here and listen to you. Martha's trying to perform, and it becomes a distraction to her because she's missing that moment where she could be at his feet learning so many things. So to to distract means to divert our attention. So our attention should be somewhere and it gets moved to somewhere else. And I think we face this every day. And I could say as moms, for sure. um, And as, I mean, anybody in this room or, or watching, we face distraction every single day with things that come up, with things that weren't planned, with things. And it takes our focus off of what we should be focusing on. And we focus on the distraction. And that's where Martha's focus became was on the distraction and not on the, um, the Lord. But what I want to make a point here is that doing good things 
is not bad. The Bible says to be doers of the word. So he wants us to have action and to serve and to do things. That's not a bad thing. But when our distraction comes out of, or our serving comes out of a distraction instead of out of a ministry at his feet, then guess what? You become anxious and troubled. You become worried. You become frustrated that nobody else is doing what you're doing, and they should be helping, and why isn't this person doing this? And you get burnout, and you, and you just wonder, what is happening? Why am I the one doing all the work? Has anybody ever said that? But her ministry was based on what she was doing. Mar- Mary's was based on who she was being. So we get, dis- we get distracted. Her service to God became a, good, a distraction, and we get distracted doing things for the kingdom that we miss the king. So are we doing things based out of love for our king and a, and a revelation of him and a relationship with him? Or are we doing things just to make us feel better and feel like we've performed well and feel like we've done what will make God happy? Um, that's not what he was interested in at all. He was interested in somebody being at his feet. Um, verse 41 and 42 says, One thing that Mary could not have taken away from her, um, or she has, what did it say? Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Why couldn't it be taken away from her? Because she was focused on something that would last forever. She was focused on something eternal. Where Martha's things, the things that she was doing, those weren't going to last. What was happening with Mary at Jesus' feet and learning from him and and what he was teaching, that was something that couldn't be taken away. That was something that would last forever. So I I heard this not too long ago, and I thought this was good. God created human beings, not human doings, right? And so the one thing that we, we learn here is that we won't be effective doing until we learn to be effective being. And we have to learn to be at his feet and learning from him and who he is before we can do and be effective there. Or else we get anxious and troubled and worried and frustrated and all those things that happen. So we have to learn to be um, human beings and not human doings. So we see in Mary that in the midst of distraction, in the midst of the things that could take her focus, she became focused on the important thing. So then um, what I think, uh, I saw this other scripture in John 1, 35 through 39. It says, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So Jesus turned around and saw them following him and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. So I get this picture of Jesus walking, and these two disciples are just kind of following behind him. And so Jesus, have you ever felt like somebody's just following you? So he turns around, he sees these people following him, and he goes, why are you following me? What do you want? And when Jesus says, what do you want? Don't you know that that is your opportunity to tell him everything that you've ever wanted? If you will do this for this person, if you will heal this person, if you will, if you will provide this for us, if you will. And this was their opportunity to get whatever they wanted from Jesus. But what did they say? They said, we just want to know where you're staying. 
We just want to come spend time with you. We just want to be with you. That's all that they wanted. And so it says that they wouldn't stay with him all day. But when we get an opportunity to come into worship and to come into prayer, usually the thing is, okay, Lord, if I do this, will you do this for me? If I, if I pray, will you make my day go better? If I do this, will you do that? That's a Martha relationship. That's saying something, I'll do this for you if you'll do this for me. The, the relationship that Jesus wants is a being relationship where you learn to be at his feet and, um, and be focused on what he is teaching, be focused on who he is so that we can be effective. So what are you seeking? When Jesus says, what are you seeking? Do we pull out our list of what we're seeking from him? Do we pull out, oh, this, this is the list. This is what I've always wanted from you, Lord. Or do we say, I just, I just want to be with you. I just want to spend time with you. It doesn't matter about all those things because I know all those, all those things will be taken care of, right? But our important thing is to, is to um, just spend time with him. So then we see, so Martha and Mary have this encounter with Jesus in their home. And then we see um, the next time that I know of that they have an encounter with him is in a really hard time in their lives. And that's in John chapter 11. And in verse, um, this is when, when their brother was sick. So um, they go to Jesus. Somebody sends a messenger to Jesus and says, hey, Lazarus is sick. And so um, what I think is interesting here is in verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So you would think what it should say is, Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, so he dropped everything he was doing, and he ran to him so that he could heal him. But it says that he loved them so much that he stayed where he was for two more days before he left to go see him. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus didn't run to meet their every need, did he? He stayed where he was, and we'll see in the scripture before why he did this. And it says, this illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. So his plan is not always for our comfort and for everything to be good for us. His plan is for his glory to come through in everything, isn't it? We've been learning about that a lot on Wednesday nights, that this is all about his plan. It's all about his glory. And whatever he does to make that happen is for him to shine through. And so um, I really thought that was interesting that when he, when he heard that he was sick and he loved, it says that he loved them so much, so he wasn't trying to be mean. He just did not run to them to fix their problem as soon as they had a problem. He waited two more days, and then he says, okay, let's go. So he, he went and found them, and by the time he gets there, Lazarus has already been dead. He died, and he's already been in the tomb for four days. So when, he, when Jesus left, it still took him a while to get there. He didn't just hop in a car. So all this time has passed, and Jesus finally gets there, and he finds out Lazarus has been in the grave for four days situation is over and so Jesus comes and what we need to see here is in verse 20 Martha hears Jesus is finally coming so she comes to him and she meets him where he is and he's still kind of a ways out but she he meets him she meets him 
And um, it says, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So God, it's not too late. Do something, right? And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know he'll rise like on the last day. And so Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And so he's, he's trying to reveal to her more of who he is. And so they have this conversation and they end in verse 27. It says, Jesus said to him, yes, Lord, I, or she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. She finishes this conversation. And I think this is really funny. I might be the only one. She finishes this conversation and it says, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary. And she says, the teacher's calling you like, I think he wants to talk to you now. Like we're done. He can, he can talk to you now. Go get your sister. So. So she goes and gets Mary, and she says, I think, I think it's your turn. I think he wants to talk to you. And so she comes to him. She rose quickly, and it says in verse 32, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. What did she do the first time she was with Martha? She was at his feet. She was learning from him. The second time she came to him, she is feeling pain. She is feeling grief. Nothing has gone right these last few days. Jesus knew way in advance he could have been here to save my brother, and he didn't. But when she comes to him, she falls at his feet. What does that mean when she falls at his feet in the midst of when things aren't aren't going your way? I think what it means is that she's bowing before him saying, even though I'm in pain, even though I'm hurting right now, even though I don't understand what's going on, even though things aren't going like I think they should, I still understand that your ways are higher than mine. Your thoughts are higher than mine. Your plans are higher than mine. And I'm going to bow here and say, I trust you. I know I know what I learned the first time that was at, I was at your feet, and so now I'm going to bow again. Even when things aren't going my way, I'm going to bow because I know I can trust you, because I know that you know the bigger picture, because I know that your plans are higher than my plans. So she was acknowledging that in her posture before him. Jesus, when he's having his conversation with Martha, he's still trying to get her to understand who he is. He's saying, look, I'm the resurrection and the life. He's still trying to teach her and still trying to understand something that Mary got the first time while Martha was distracted serving. So Jesus is still trying to talk to her and still trying to get her to understand things. When, when Mary comes in, she just falls at his feet. And she says the exact same thing that Martha does. She says, Jesus, if you would have been here, or Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. They didn't end up having a conversation back and forth. You know why? Because I think Mary understood him. She acknowledged that even though I don't understand, I know that you have a bigger plan. She bowed before him. And when Jesus saw her weeping, it says that he began to weep. And he felt her and he understood her heart and she understood his heart. And so when they come to him and they say the same things, Jesus responds in different ways. Why? Because I think of what happened the first time they encountered Jesus. Mary caught something and Martha missed it because she was distracted. So in the midst of her pain, she became trusting of his plan. And then... As we know, the scripture ends, Lazarus is raised from the dead. But I don't even think this is a story about how 
God made everything right in their world. I think it's about what Mary learned through pain. She learned to trust. And she learned that I don't know what this outcome is going to be, but I still know who I trust. And I still know whose plan is higher than mine. And so then the last time that we see that they have an encounter with Jesus is in John 12. It's just the next chapter over. And it says that um, in verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And it says that Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And then we'll go on from there in just a minute. And I think what we learn here from, it it seems like a very normal situation now. Martha is back to serving. Fine. Lazarus is alive. And he's sitting with Jesus, which I would love to hear their conversation. Like, hey, remember when you raised me from the dead? Um, So they're having these conversations. Lazarus is just sitting with him. And Mary comes in with this, and we sang about this this morning, this jar that was very expensive and very um, pricey. It meant a lot to her. And she broke it at his feet, and she anointed his feet. And, and I think we have seen a progression of what happens when we're constantly at his feet. Again, we see her. The third time we see her in every encounter she is having with Jesus, we find her at his feet. And this time she's saying, I've seen, I've understood who you are. I've heard your teaching. I know that your ways are higher than mine. I learned that when I'm in pain. And even though I'm still going to bow at your feet. And even when I have things that mean so much to me, I'm going to lay them at your feet as well. Because nothing I have is more valuable than what you have. And so in her midst of familiarity, which I think this was a very familiar situation to her, she has found herself built here before. And I think every day we find ourselves, this is the ordinary life. This is when things are fine. They're just normal. They're just Martha serving. Lazarus is sitting there. Everything is back to normal. And for me, when I have normal days when things are just kind of as they should be nothing's out of the ordinary nothing's um you know laundry and all that all the all the normal stuff that we do every day it is very easy to become just complacent and just we'll just go with the flow it's just everything is normal but she took a very familiar situation and what she was used to her sister is serving Lazarus is there he's alive and she becomes very extravagant in her worship she just even steps it up again and says I have I don't have much but what I do have is not near as valuable as what I can get at your feet and she lays it at her feet and she anoints his feet with oil so in the midst of familiar she became very extravagant and that extravagant word means exceeding the limits of reason or necessity lacking in moderation balance and restraint so she was exceeding the limits of reason or necessity sometimes the reasoning of of what we do for God or how we minister back it's it's 
beyond reason. It doesn't, it doesn't, how we, how we are in worship, how we are, um, it, it kind of looks a little weird because it's extravagant. It's lacking in moderation. It's lacking in balance and it's lacking in restraint. And so that is extravagant, extravagant worship. And so in this point, there is a, a, a moment where Judas comes and the next verses and says, you know what? We could have used that. Why is she, she kind of wasting it here? We could have sold that and given it to the poor, and we could have done great things um, with that. And then it says that he really wanted to just steal the money. So um, he really had ulterior motives. But when we give extravagantly and when we worship extravagantly, it opens the door for people to judge. It opens the door for people to not understand because they see you without restraint, without balance, without moderation, and they go, huh, look at that person. That's a little odd. That's a little strange. Look, we could have used that. We could have done something else with that. But, but God wants extravagance. He wants our extravagant worship. And so uh, the last part that I want to just talk about briefly is um, something that I discovered a couple of years ago that I saw in this verse again today. And Um, caught my eye so I just want to go here for just a second but it says when she broke her jar and she was anointing his feet it says the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume and I've I've done some studying on this before about the the fragrance of of when there's a fragrance and in Ephesians 5 2 it says walk in love as Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us a fragrant offering, and a sacrifice to God. So there's that word again, and um, I realized that what is a fragrant offering to God, what smells good to him, is a sacrifice. And so when she went and laid that at his feet, that was a sacrifice for her. That meant a lot to her. That was worth a lot to her. And she broke it at his feet, and that sacrifice is what made it smell good. That sacrifice created a, a, a fragrant offering. But we don't stop there because Christ, it says, gave himself up as a sacrifice. We know what he did. He died for us. He rose again. That was a sacrifice, and that's what smelled good or had a fragrance um, to God. But it doesn't stop there because in 1 Peter 2, 5, it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So it doesn't stop with what Jesus did for us. He's saying, not only did God do that for you, but he wants you to to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And so I think, what is, how do I offer up? I mean, in the Old Testament, you see where they would kill the animals and and we don't really do that today. So how do we offer up spiritual sacrifices? But in Hebrews uh, 13, Verse 15, it says, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are, are pleasing to God. So it says to bring him a sacrifice of praise. And I've honestly had a hard time with this because I feel like 
when we, you know, come in here or whatever, when we praise and when we sing and all of that, it shouldn't really be a sacrifice. I mean, you think of what he did for us and what I do back is pretty minimal compared to that. So it's not really a sacrifice. And then I started remembering what happened before when they really did do physical sacrifices. They would take the best animal that they had in the Old Testament and they would cut it. And you can read about this all through the scripture and they would open it up and they would do different things with the with the parts of the um, animal, and it was just a sacrifice to God of the very best that they had. But what happens when they were, if, if we're a sacrifice, we put ourselves in that position, and we're cut on, and we're opened up, and we're vulnerable to whatever he wants to do. That's a sacrifice of praise. It's not about us, is it? Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about you. So we, it's not about us. We don't... Um, if we are a sacrifice, I am on I am on that altar. And can I speak? If I'm cut open and laid there before him, can I speak? No, I, I can't um, because I'm dead. Um, because a sacrifice is something that costs us. A sacrifice is something that is um, it's a value. And um, it becomes a very vulnerable, vulnerable place that you find yourself before God, where you're open before him and you find yourself in that position that Mary found herself in the beginning where she's sitting there and she's listening. She's not talking. She's before him and she's learning who he is. And that was a sacrifice and that's what smells good to him. There's a story in the Old Testament about David, um, King David, when he had really messed up and made a mistake. And um, he's been talking to God about how they're going to fix this. And um, he, he, he wants to make some sacrifices to God. And he finds this land, and it's called a threshing floor. And um, he, the guy comes over and says, if you want it, you can have it. I'll give it to you. You can make your sacrifices. And David says... I will buy it from you because I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And so when we are extravagant before him, we give something that costs us something. We give something that's of value to us. We give something that, um, that it, it's, it's a cost to us. Luke 9.23 says, if anyone would come after me, this is Jesus talking, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. How do I offer up myself as a sacrifice? I put myself where Jesus was, on that cross. My desires, my flesh, my way, it all goes there. So I heard this quote a long time ago, and it said, either he's on the cross and you're on the throne, or he's on the throne, and you're, did I say that right? He's on the cross, and you're on the throne, or you're on the throne, and he's on the cross. Did I say that right? No. Okay. Either he's on the cross, and you're sitting on that throne, or he's on the throne, and you're on the cross, because a, uh, a, there's only, we've been learning about the throne on Wednesday nights, and there's only room for one. And we have the, um, the tendency to make ourselves sit on that throne 
our will, our way. This is how I want everything to happen. And Jesus says, I've died on the cross. I'm not on the cross anymore. He's on the throne, right? And so we have an opportunity to put ourselves there now to sacrifice ourselves for him and leave him on the throne where we bow before him and we can sacrifice before him and say, your ways are higher than mine. Your thoughts are higher than mine. I give everything I have of value to you. Um, so in Psalms 145.3, it says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. From the first time she sat at his feet, I, I really believe that she began to feel or realize his greatness and, the, and, the, and how she could worship him in that way. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And I heard Jeff say this a few years ago that in the way that we are understanding of who he is and how great he is, that is the magnitude in which we can worship him. If we see him as just a good God, good is the Lord and he's good to be praised. But if I see him as a great God, then I'm going to praise him in a great way because he is great. And then yesterday I read this and it just really spoke to me and it said it's impossible for us to create a concept of what he's like that is greater than he really is. He is either greater than we can understand, perceive, describe, or imagine, or he is not God, we are. And so if we cannot see him as such a great God that we can worship and then we can sit at his feet, we have put ourselves in a position to sit on that throne and say, I got this, I can manage this. I'm in charge. And I know physically that as we go through our day that we can't just sit like this all day because people are going to get mad at you because you're not doing your job and people are going to get upset at you because you're not getting your kids the cereal that they want or the drinks that they want. I understand that we can't physically be like this all day. But how can we take a posture of kneeling at his feet in, in all the circumstances in our life? First, I think that when we learn from him, when we study who he is, um, I think that is a way that we can be his disciple and discovering about him. That is a way that Mary learned to be at his feet. That's a way that we can learn to be at his feet is by understanding who he is, studying him. Second, she learned that we can be at his feet when we are trusting him, even when circumstances don't justify it. Even when everything says that everything's against you, we're at his feet saying, God, I don't understand. Your ways are higher than mine, though. That's a way to be at his feet. And then third, we can't be at his feet when we're extravagantly giving back to him, even when it doesn't make sense, even when I can't afford it, even when I don't have the time for it, even when all these things are against God, I'm going to give you something of value because it's you and you alone that you deserve it. Amen. <laughs> well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, WLMiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.